everyone has something to say. And as time goes on, everyone has more to say. When we each reach the end of our cycles, I imagine it will be fairly unlikely that we'll have said everything we want to say. But for some, there might be a second chance. Ghostly hauntings have often been attributed to spirits with unfinished business. Possession is said to be the devil on earth. Those who host seances claim to be able to contact the afterlife, all opportunities for those not of this world to communicate with it once more. The following tale is kind of a combination of all three. There was some unfinished business or an unsettled score. There was possession and there was a clear message from those who had shuffled off this mortal coil. And it all came from a curse. With those casting the curse really using their heads. In the mid-1600s, Miles Philipson was living his best life. He was a justice of the peace and a close companion of those high up the chain of command in the Cavaliers, the royal supporting group in the English Civil War. He had the cash, the life and the land, but like all good assholes, he wanted more. And he had his eyes set on a small patch of land belonging to husband and wife, Dorothy and Craster Cook. He was confident that he could throw money at the owners and fulfil another purchase, but they weren't easily swayed. In fact, they weren't swayed at all. The cooks were quite happy where they were and turned down Philipson's offer. You'd think Miles would have just moved on to the next piece of land or the next fancy building or the next flash horse, but no, because the way to incur the wrath of someone like Miles Philipson is to tell them they can't have something. So Miles had tried the overhanded route and it got him nowhere. So now it was time for the underhanded route. Around Christmas time, Miles invited Dorothy and Craster to his home to share in a lovely meal, ensuring them that there were no hard feelings and it was all just water under the bridge. He went all out with the catering and the booze, hired some fine entertainment and overall showed him a hell of a good time before seeing him home. Come the next morning, I'm sure Dorothy and Craster woke to a hangover as well as a court summons. See, Miles alleged that a silver cup had gone missing from his abode during the shindig and placed the blame squarely at the feet of the cooks. At the trial, Dorothy protested her and her husband's innocence, but her plea fell on deaf ears, as the presiding magistrate in the trial was one Miles Philipson. Apparently the phrase conflict of interest wasn't invented until much later. The trial, predictably, was a walkover, and for their crimes, the cooks were sentenced to death. But before Dorothy could be led away from the dock, 
she locked eyes with Miles Philipson and shrieked a curse. I'm not going to shriek it, but here it is. Harks to hear, Miles Philipson, that teeny lumperlandest dearest grunder Philipson has ever bout. For ye shall prosper never mower, yersel nor yannet breed. And while Calgarth's strong walls shall stand, we'll haunt it day and night. Thank you very much. As the cooks awaited execution, Dorothy placed several more curses on the same building, that being Calgarth Hall. The hall had been in the Philipson family for over four centuries and was a stronghold for the family, yet Dorothy had sworn to haunt it. I'm sure Miles thought nothing of it. I'm sure he shared the same arrogance as those who designed the Titanic, that ship that was apparently unsinkable. Well, Calgarth Hall was apparently impenetrable. As the months passed, nothing occurred, and the cooks were surely forgotten by Philipson and his wife, Janet Laybourne, as they added to their stash of land day on day. But the curse was just waiting its turn. Exactly one year after the day Miles had invited the cooks round and started his ruse in motion, he threw another party. All his friends and family flocked to Calgarth Hall to ring in the holiday season, and two uninvited guests also rocked up. One woman reported hearing screams from upstairs, and when she went to investigate, she found nothing. The screaming persisted, however, and she found it grew louder and got closer. She swung round to exit the room and came face to face to face with two spectral skulls floating towards her, screaming. She soon joined them and her screams attracted the other partygoers as well as the hosts, Miles and Janet. By the time they arrived, the skulls had dropped to the floor, and though the lady who found them tried to explain what she had seen, those who heard her claims put it down to her being in a, and I quote, shit-faced state. While they remained quiet for the rest of the party, they didn't rest for long. The next day, with the guests gone, Miles Philipson ascended the stairs when he heard that same scream. And on the stairs, he saw the skulls. One wondered if his mind immediately went back to Dorothy and Craster, to the curse the former had placed upon him, and saw that the prophecy had come true. His days would be tormented by the screaming of the skulls. They took up a spot midway up the stairs, a small alcove in the wall, where they would wail all day and all night. Attempts to remove the skulls would be useless. They burned the skulls only to find them back in the house the next day. They would bury the skulls, attempting to put them to rest, but back at Calgarth Hall they soon would be. They even tried to drown the skulls, but they would be back in their alcove, halfway up the stairs, before Miles could even return home. The curse stood strong. And not only that, but it ran to completion. Dorothy not only said that she would haunt Calgarth, but that the Philipson family 
would prosper nevermore. And by next Christmas, Miles was ruined. His properties had racked up fines that forced him to sell at a loss, or for nothing if they ended up being seized. He and his family would descend into poverty with only one property left. Calgarth Hall. The Philipsons would be no more by the late 1700s. The name had died out with no heirs remaining to continue to live on the mantra splayed on their family crest. Fida non frauda. In English, by faith, not by deceit. Cheers for listening to episode 3 of season 2 of the Folklore of Cumbria cast. I'd like to thank my sources, the blog site Esmeralda's Cumbrian History and Folklore. Once again, seriously, it's a trove of information. Uh, the Mysterious Britain website and Laurie Kemp's great read, The Ghosts of Cumbria. Guess who did the music? It's only silvermansound.com. What a surprise. And thank you, once again, for listening. Once the last of the Philipsons had died, a bishop came round to Calgarth Hall and exorcised the skulls, laying them to rest once and for all, it would seem. The two skulls are still bricked up inside the thick walls of the hall. Some still aren't sure where the skulls came from. There was a tale of a parliament-supporting roundhead duo being brutally executed by Cavalier Commander Colonel Bartholomew Briggs at Calgarth, and that those are the two haunting the property, but, I don't know, Dorothy's curse lines up. So, if a lesson is to be taken from this, it's, don't be greedy. Don't reach for that last slice of pizza when you know it would be your third slice and you'd agreed with your three guests that you'd only have two each. For if you do reach for that pizza, that guest you resign to one slice will curse you, and when they die of starvation due to not getting enough pizza, their famished skull will never leave you alone, and you'll never enjoy pizza again, and Oliver Cromwell will come and take your house. Don't be like Miles. Stick to your two slices of pizza. Good night.